Welcome to AP Psych! <laughs> Alright, welcome back everyone. We are going to go into day four right now, which was about behaviorism and social cognitive theories. So remember here we were talking about how behavior and personality are related. So to review behavior or behaviorism, this is when you study only behavior that's observable and can be studied. Internal factors are not studied here. So under behaviorism, personality is a function of the environment. Personality is predictable. And inconsistencies in one, one's personality or behavior are because of the situation, not because your personality internally is changing. But for many psychologists, this didn't seem like enough. So that's why we have the social cognitive theories. These theories propose that personality is due to a combination of environmental conditions, behavior, and cognitive factors. Our really important psychologists here are Julian Rotter and yay, a reoccurring psychologist, Albert Bandura. Remember, he did the Bobo doll study. So Rotter's expectancy theory, this is our first psychologist, uh, Julian Rotter, really focused on that locus of control. And remember, when we have an internal locus of control, you have high expectations of being able to exert some control. The external locus is when you believe the outcome is determined by factors outside of your control, like fate or luck or destiny anything like that. So remember, we looked at the image of the tree that had fallen on the car. The internal locus of control response here would be, oh, it's my fault. I should have parked in the garage. I should have seen that the tree was weak. Those kind of things. The external locus would be more like, why does this happen to me? Why does the universe hate me? Nothing that you could have done about it. Then Albert Bandura, remember he looked at the social learning theory, said that personality is learned in social situations, not as simple as just personality is learned in environment, it's specifically social situations, that has three components, the observational learning, self-efficacy, and reciprocal determinism. So observational learning is when you see something modeled, you then do it. This is imitation. This is like that Bobo doll experiment. Self-efficacy is your own level of belief in your ability to be successful or not at a task. So you can have a high self-efficacy or a low self-efficacy. And then finally, reciprocal determinism. This is that triangle that has behavior, environmental factors, and internal cognitive factors all pointing to each other because they can all affect affect each other. So it's not just your internal cognitive factors determining your behavior that determines what environment you are in. It could be any combination of those factors affecting each other to get you to a certain action or a certain personality. This is on slide nine of the day four slides. I would highly recommend looking at this um, triangle image here to see if you understand that. And then finally, for this class, we talked about culture and the self. So we talked about the difference between an individualistic culture and a collectivist culture. 
So individualistic cultures give priority to one's own goals over group goals. You identify with this yourself rather than the group. An example of this is the United States. We have that very much like pull yourself up by the bootstraps, competitiveness, independence kind of uh, format to our country. Collectivist, on the other hand, gives priority to group goals and you identify with the group over self. Um, the examples that we had for these kinds of cultures were India and Japan. But as I mentioned, uh, the examples for each kinds of cultures, remember that it's each of them uh, exists on a continuum and variations exist within and among cultures. I would know a little bit uh, this last slide, which is 13. So if we if I ask you the value contrast of self, what matters, coping method, relationships, you'd be able to say for an individualistic culture what they would lean more towards prioritizing as opposed to a collectivist culture. So if you want help reviewing that, that is on slide 13 of the day four slides. And that's all for day four, a pretty quick one there. Okay, and we are moving on to day five, and this is the humanistic and trait theories. So from a humanistic perspective, um, it's really a response to the psychodynamic approach that we talked about with Freud. And with the humanistic perspective, they're focusing on how, quote unquote, healthy people strive to fulfill their full potential. Um, so it falls on our self-concept and what we think about ourselves and it dictates how we see ourselves currently and where we want to see ourselves later. Abraham Maslow is like our residential humanist psychologist and we already talked about how he created his hierarchy of needs but this is where that plays in. He studied again quote-unquote healthy people and he saw that healthy people strive to strive towards self-actualization. So remember with his pyramid, you have the different levels. Um, you need your physiological needs met, safety needs met, love and belonging, esteem. And then that top tier is self-actualization. That's kind of what we're all trying to strive for once everything else is met. Now, Carl Rogers is another humanist, and he says that we crave approval through positive regard. Like we want validation almost. And when we get that validation or when we get that positive regard, it agrees with our own self-eval and we are in congruency and this can become a part of our self-concept. However, if we do not get the response that we are thinking of, that can lead to incongruency. So where your self-evaluation versus how other people view you are different. I described it as um, American Idol auditions. Some people go into an American Idol audition super confident. They think that they're the best singer in the world when really they are tone deaf and they can't sing for crap. And so when you see that, you see that incongruency, they think that their self-eval, their self-evaluation is good. They're good at singing. And then other people are saying like, no, man, that's a no for me, dog, you know? So that's going to be incongruency, which could lead to anxiety or depression. Now, um, 
Carl Rogers had this idea of an unconditional positive regard where he believed that all, or which is the belief rather, that all people are fundamentally good and there is a total acceptance of another person, flaws and all. But there's also the condition of worth, which is unrealistic demands and expectations somebody might put upon yourself. And we only have that worth under those certain conditions. So those, through a, a humanistic approach, the concepts throughout a humanistic approach are vague. They're very subjective, but it um, also, it, it it's good for us to know because um, it it's just something, again, it, kind of like with Freud, it's like a baseline and it helps us build upon um, new psychology that is still being discovered today. It's just a theory. Now we also have traits, which there's three basic assumptions of trait theories. So there's relatively stable in individuals, they're stable across situations, and everybody is different in how much of one trait they have. Um, so Gordon Allport analyzed people's traits. And he said that it could be described, a personality could be described in seven or fewer items. Um, and that conscious motives are more important than unconscious motives. And that a behavior description is more important than an explanation. So a description, the what of somebody's behavior is more important than the why of somebody's behavior. He also said that personality consists of three traits, the cardinal trait, which is rare, and it's a super strong dominant trait that is like the only way to describe somebody, the central trait, which is a strong trait that most people have, and it's a big thing that defines us, but not the only thing, and then the secondary trait that everybody has, and it's not the first thing that somebody would think of to describe you, but it's like secondary. Raymond Cattell is another psychologist that we talked about. He went into factor analysis and the clustering of traits, and he created that 16 personality factor questionnaire or the 16 PF. And that factors in things like being opposite, like shy and bold, trusting and suspicious and things like that. Now, Assessing traits and using personality inventories is important to know. We talked about the Isonic personality questionnaire, which factors in emotional stability or emotionality versus stability or extroversion versus introversion. And it was created by Hans and Sybil Eisnick. Um, and it proposed that biological causes were behind different levels of each factor. We also talked about, and we took the big five model, which was created by Paul Costa and Robert McRae. And this is one of the most popular and widely used um, personality tests. And it's based on your own factor analysis that identifies five dimensions. And we talked about each of those dimensions and you can remember it through ocean. So there's openness to experience, there's conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeability, and then neuroticism or emotional stability. So I would go through and just like familiarize yourself with those. Um, and I think you'll be good with day five. Okay, last up is day six. 
This was all about our personality tests. So to start, there are four ways that we can describe someone's personality through life outcomes, like their educational level, income, marital status. Second way is through situational tests, like laboratory measurements of reactions to different types of events. That one's not going to be as natural of a way to observe it. Um, the third is observer ratings. This would be judgments made by those familiar with the individual. Like if you asked your friend or your parent or your sibling to take a personality test for you. And then finally, the last one is self-reports, which is the responses to personality tests. This is the kind of testing that we did when we took the Myers-Briggs test in class, the colored test, and the big five. So there are two kinds of personality tests. The first is objective personality tests. They have limited answers, give certain kinds of responses, and provide straightforward questions that have multiple choice responses. So this is also like the test that we took where it would have you say whether you strongly disagree to strongly agree with that question. These tests are more valid and reliable, partially because they do not take interpretation. There is, it is not based off of the individual looking at the answers. It is not subjective. It is objectively put through calculations and uh, determined what the results are. On the other hand, projective personality tests are much more ambiguous. These involve questions like, what do you see in this picture? And we'll go into some examples of projective uh, personality tests later, but that re those really rely on the psychologist that is interpreting them. So the objective tests that we took a look at were the MMPI or the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, and the Big Five from Costa and McRae, the Eisnick Questionnaire, in the 16 personality factor from Cattell. So the MMPI-2 is used to assess personality and to help diagnose psychological disorders. This makes use of clinical scales to compare those uh, with others who displayed psychological disorders or personality characteristics. So what's important to remember about this one is that uh, it looks at psychological disorders as well uh, and compares them. It measures 10 traits. You do not need to have those traits memorized, but just know that it makes those comparisons. The Myers-Briggs type indicator is the test that we took in class. This categorizes people based on four personality dimensions. It is less reliable and valid than the MMPI and it has similarities to the Big Five model, but the Big Five model is used more widely. But for whatever reason, the Myers-Briggs test has, has stuck out in, we'll say, pop culture, popular culture, society, and so people like it. Uh, but based on psychology, like the actual scientific fact, Big Five model is used more widely, and the MMPI is more reliable and valid. So ways of obsessing of assessing the unconscious is where progressive tests come in. These are personality tests that provide ambiguous images designed to trigger projection of one's inner dynamics. 
Freud really thought that you could find people's inner dynamics through their dreams and free association, which is the free flow of talking through your thoughts. Um, but we started to get a little bit better with our projective tests. First, we have the Rorschach and Inkblot. And this is the subject's perception of inkblots recorded and analyzed using psychological interpretation and complex algorithms. So again, it's not just, okay, this person said it was a bunny, so they go into this category. This person said it was an elephant, so they go into this category. When you give the projective test or the inkblot test, you're looking at, the psychologists are looking at the way you get to the correct answer. Um, and it was used to examine personality characteristics and emotional functioning. There started to be some irresponsible uses for it, um, but when it is responsibly used, it's appropriate and justified. So remember that this test lost a lot of its credibility when Rorschach died and the main interpreter for this test passed away. The last test and last content you need to know from Unit 7 is the Thematic Apperception Test, or TAT. And studies show TAT provides val valid and reliable map of people's implicit motives. This is when you would look at, you would be given an ambiguous photo or an ambiguous scene, and the story that you tell of this photo expresses your inner feelings and interests. And people found that these responses were consistent over time. So your inner thoughts or feelings were consistent uh, in the story that you told, even if the story itself was not consistent. So in both the inkblot and the TAT test, you can see how it's, these are much more open-ended questions. Uh, and they're not, we're not placing them into a category or into an algorithm. You need to have people to interpret what all of this means, which is what makes that a little less valid or reliable because of the different interpretations that could come from the answers you give. And that is all for Unit 7. I hope you've enjoyed and happy studying.